This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Hello and welcome to NL Hafta episode 198. Angrez apna lagan aur News Laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi bholte. So remember, subscribe to News Laundry, pay to keep uh, news independent. When corporations pay, corporations are served. When governments pay, politicians are served. And when the people pay, public is served. We're just two episodes away from our 200th episode uh, where all you subscribers are going to come and be part of it. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We've already sent you details on this. In case you're wondering why I'm hosting this episode, it's because Abhinandan is away on a foreign tour, <laughs> drinking beer and having sausages in Germany. Actually, no, he's working really hard. Yeah, he's working hard. He's there for a conference. So I'm just going to be uh, replacing him for this episode. We have with us Madhutrehan. Hi. Raman Kirpal. Hello. And we have with us a very special guest, Mihira Sood. Hi. Hi, Mihira. Mihira is a Supreme Court lawyer and currently researching the Indian feminist movement and its use of criminal law. I thought that was very interesting and we should discuss some of that. Uh, she specializes in women's rights. She writes columns for the Indian Express, Huffington Post and other publications. And uh, for those of you who are longtime listeners of Hafta, you'd remember that she was also part of the 83rd episode of Hafta, where we discussed the uh, Faruqi, Mahmood Faruqi judgment from the High Court. Uh, we have a lot of things to discuss today. Me Too is uh, back in the conversation. Caravan came out with um, this a special issue on it. Their cover story was uh, on OML and Vijay Nair and a culture of uh, a toxic culture which kind of promoted uh, harassment of employees. OML has responded to that. They've responded a very, given a very detailed response to that story and raised some questions on it. Uh, there was also a story on India Today's Gaurav Savant, uh, who was also accused of uh, sexual harassment by Vidya Krishnan. Gaurav Savant has also sent a defamation notice to the caravan and he's refuted those allegations. So maybe we can discuss this since we have Meera with us and uh, she'd have a lot of things to tell us about the Sexual Harassment Act. And uh, the general tone and tenor of the Me Too movement. We had a very interesting development in the US where Fox, uh, where CNN sued the White House for uh, not allowing the reporter to... For removing his credentials rem- to the White House. Yeah. And wondering if that could ever happen in India. There was also the ANI interview. An interesting the- part about that one hmm. is that numerous other news organizations have joined in. And the most notable thing is that Fox has also. Yeah, yeah. There's a solidarity there where, which we don't... I mean, an NDTV or a Republic would sort of never come on the same page. Even though I don't know if there's a comparison. No, but listen, Fox in all fairness to our yeah. media, when I was uh, served in contempt of court notice, every single news organization stood by me. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen in my case. <laughs> I was just singled out. Yeah. I left the newspaper. Even the newspaper did not, uh, you know, sponsor my legal fight. And uh, the fight was happening in Lucknow. And I was here in Delhi, I was in Hyderabad, I was in Jammu and Kashmir also, Bombay also. So every time, nobody sponsored me. That happens Ex- to a lot of lo- uh, lot of reporters actually, they find themselves alone sometimes yeah. when they're... Uh, there was also uh, the ANI interview with the Dassault Aviation CEO. I thought that was very interesting. A lot of questions were raised on the sort of uh, questions that were asked. People thought it was a very soft interview and it was nicely timed around... Uh, the hearing also. Um, BBC has come out with a research on fake news and they say that in India, nationalism is the driving force behind fake news. And right-wing networks are more organized in pushing these stories. No surprises there. Uh, Amnesty International reduced Ambassador of Conscience Award from... About time. Yeah. 
we've been discussing this for almost six months now. I think you've no, been. I've been saying it from the time she, yeah. time she came out and she came to India. I said, what has she achieved? What has she done other than meet world leaders with flowers in her hair? Yeah. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Um, let's start with Mihira. Before we began recording, we you were telling me that you had a lot of misgivings with the current sexual harassment law. Yeah. I just wanted to know. I thought that was interesting because you you work with you you're researching on the Indian feminist movement. Why do you think it's? Uh, uh, I think that there are a number of problems with it. You know, to to start with, just by way of background, if you read the the Verma Committee recommendations, which I was part of, at that time this act was just a bill, and it was something that we looked at, and our recommendations were very strongly against it, and we had recommended a completely different scheme of protection, which you know, at the government, perhaps in its haste or for whatever reason, ignored, and. After the recommendations were passed, um, it just picked up the bill as it was and uh, passed it into an act. At the core of our um, misgiving with the with the bill was that the ICC can never be truly independent. The the way it's set up and looking at the reality of workplaces in India, primarily the act does apply to corporate workspaces. There's um, been an attempt in the definitions, of course, to broaden that, but you know, in reality, we're looking primarily at the corporate workspace. You have uh, you know a committee with members from within the organisation who would feel beholden to the management of the organisation. Um, they're required to be senior employees. The in most of the cases, the accused is in a far senior position to the complainant and uh, would end up being far closer personally um, to the people on the ICC as well as being perceived as more indispensable to the management. Mm. Uh, You have the provision of an external member, but again, that person, A, has no veto power, you know, in the deliberations. The the decisions are usually taken by consensus. The Act doesn't really specify uh, how the decisions are to be taken, but the norm is that it's done by consensus. That external person is also paid by the management. And, you know, this has become a profession of sorts as well, where you have people serving as external members on various ICCs of, you know, numerous, Mm. uh, numerous corporates and, um, you know, are essentially on their payroll. So the independence of the ICC is severely compromised, uh, which is something that we had been, we had severe misgivings about. Uh, the, The act is very ambiguous on the role of the police at mm-hmm. one place, for instance, and, and this is something that we see coming out with Me Too again and again. I'm very uncomfortable, for instance, when people say police should take sumo cognizance mm. because I feel very strongly that these are, um, you know, how, how to take a complaint forward has to be, you know, with the, with the victim, with the complainant, if she is a complainant, that is, if she has approached the, the authorities. Um, the act is very ambiguous. At one place, it says that the... ICC and the organization should assist her should she in whatever manner possible should she choose to file a police complaint and at another place it in fact says that they have to take it upon themselves to file that police complaint whether or not she wants it okay you know so I Mm. think that the question of the agency of the victim in terms of how she wants to proceed is not something that is foregrounded in this act or in fact in any of our conversations about Me Too today when we talk about mm. sumoto cognizance and, and all of that. Mm. No, that's true for a lot of like when the MJ Akbar story came out and even uh, some of the stories where it's not really harassment, it's what is being described as assault. <laughs> even I, you know, felt that some 
some of these stories uh, the police should take so much cognizance but it's true that if it really has to be the complainant's prerogative whether she wants to because a lot of the times some of these stories like the caravan story on Gaurav Savant it really comes across as a story where she wants closure she's put out uh, what she's put out but she's not she really wants to put this out as to sort of end silence but there's no demand for or no really conversation about yeah. whether she wants the organization to fire him yeah. or if she wants the police to take action or if she wants this guy to sort of lose his job or whatever it's really about her speaking about what she was quiet about 15 years ago this is again i mean it's one person yeah. word against another yeah. right now very little investigation is happening whether you see it journalistically or you see uh, the police nobody is stepping in like uh, if uh, say in case of gorov savant only i mean if you are rec- she has uh, given her uh, narrative yeah. now that entire narrative needs to be reconstructed if you want to take any legal action hmm. so uh, yes in this case you are right i mean it sounds like a closer yeah. more like a closer she's, than she's pretty, though in the story there is one corroborating detail that they have added is that immediately after this incident she spoke to her boyfriend then and cried to him and told him what has happened so the reporter did check with the now former no, partner what i feel that there you can have even material evidences for ex- instance it happened 15 years ago so if you go to the army and find out what junker it was mm. and whether who were the members mm. so that is one way of establishing yes that, two of that them they were at least present ah, there present together day. so That's so i true. think the reconstruction requires several i mean various stages so that is not happening in any of the cases in fact mm. any of the cases so So this Which is, is why I then they're open to sort of hmm. notices that yeah. are being yeah. That's not true. I think in some of the cases it is happening. For instance, I know that uh, the Wire has set up an external committee, you know, for the to investigate the allegations against Mr. Vinod Dua. Hmm. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm sure in other organizations as well. The Wire has been very public about it, but I'm sure in other organizations also it must be happening. I believe in Hindustan Times uh, there was. They've set up an ICC. In yeah. most of the yeah. cases, yeah. I said yeah. maybe in a couple. that i know of have set have them set, up but they set, don't publicize everything that they're yeah, doing yeah which is which is absolutely fine you know i think our appetite for things to be served up to us in the public domain is also mm. a bit unreasonable um but you're right i think this is something that needs to be uh, emphasized a little more uh, that you know they very often people are looking for or assume that it is only you know hard evidence material evidence like a screenshot or something like that dna evidence that kind of thing that is valid that makes your story worthwhile um that without it you know you really have you know like to stand on and that is used a as a tool to silence women and i think it's also then something that a lot of women internalize and and feel too scared to come out with because they feel they don't have that and i think we need to we do need to talk a little bit about how investigations take place i mean we've had investigations before this kind of evidence also existed and as you said it's reconstructing events it's cross examination it's calling witnesses like for instance her then you know mm. in the case of uh, the the god of savant story her then partner and many other cases you know they've spoken to their friends colleagues uh, partners at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. so that sort of you know witness testimony doesn't have to be eyewitness testimony alone you know so reconstructing the events through that making sure it stands up to scrutiny and then weighing the probabilities of which version of events sounds more likely or more probable that's the task of an icc 
<laughs> we're not looking at a criminal law standard of beyond reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a lower standard of proof, which is where does the preponderance of probabilities lie? Hmm. Right. 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 And that, that's something I think that does need to be talked about. I think one, one good thing that has happened in the Me Too movement is that it has set and educated men, uh, set parameters and educated men on what is acceptable and what is not. Mm. So that is the major, major watershed moment for India. Because with all the locker room talk one used to hear, uh, which was considered normal, also uh, the boasting locker room style, all that I think uh, men have now been given notice of what is acceptable and what is not. Mm. So I think that's a huge, huge step. That's to me the big benefit of the Me Too movement. I do have reservations that in India more so than in, in America, allegations have been accepted as truth. Accusations mm. have been accepted as truth without any investigation. So a, somebody can tweet something, even anonymously, about a known person, mm. and that is accepted as truth. But the main thing is that, uh, as I've said before, the New York Times story about Har- Harvey Weinstein was investigated for one year. One year is a long time to sit on a story to make sure that verifications, corroborations, evidence was brought through before they published the story. The same thing with Ronan Farrow. It took him 10 months before he published the story because he checked every single accusation to find witnesses or anyone who could corroborate that this actually happened. In our case, it's become a little bit of a wild, wild country in the sense that everyone, anyone who has had an experience is tweeting it instead i think instead of using twitter as a platform i think there are other ways to address the issue certainly an article like the caravan is definitely a better platform because you get more information and the person who's accused also then has all the details instead of one short paragraph in twitter the other thing is i don't think that we can demand a certain style of action that we deem as moral because if somebody is accused there are many options for him to in which way he's going to respond so I'm very uncomfortable with the fact that in this a lot of journalistic norms and legal norms have been thrown to the wayside and people demanding action without any investigation I think is very dangerous Mm -hmm. there are people who've lost their jobs before the investigation and even if you're reinstated the stigma remains. So I think that one has to tread this, keeping both both things in mind that after all, uh, women making this, this kind of uh, new paradigms for men to follow in offices and anywhere else, as I said, is a good thing, but I don't think we should lose the balance mm. that we can't have innocent men being executed for no rhyme or reason. In fact, your research is about feminist movement and use of criminal law. And you were saying that this isn't something that you are really for. And you found it to be counterproductive. Do you want to elaborate no, so on that, taking it's, away it's from a, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little more, more complicated than that. What, I, what I'm uh, looking at is uh, really more in terms of as a movement. And I'm looking, obviously, then I have to define the movement very specifically. So I'm looking at mainstream Indian feminist movements, the more prominent feminist organizations Mm. from the 1980s onwards. That's post the the Mathura judgment and the protests and that sort of spate of feminist activism that started then. And from then till now, I'm looking at how the movement's relationship with criminal law has evolved Hmm. and how it's um, you know I I, I, I see a tension there because 
I think there is an inherent distrust within the movement of authoritarianism, hmm. of, of the state, of, you know, excessive powers, police powers. And yet, repeatedly, that seems to have limited our imagination as a public and also to some extent in some sections of the feminist movement as well hmm. in, you know, what our demands are and what sort of remedies we seek. Hmm. And that's sort of what I want to explore. And um, one of the things that I'm interested in studying, and this is, again, just a hypothesis um, of mine, is whether the, the rise of the right wing in India has sort of pushed the feminist movement uh, also a little more to the right in terms of demanding, demanding justice. Yeah, more punitive, more punitive, punitive yeah. populism. Hmm. Like hang them every time there's a rape, there's this clamor for like capital punishment. And But I think uh, just to finish up on this, I think that there are in this case, like many cases that have come out, especially in journalists, with journalists and media organizations, these are 15 year old cases. So, you know, say I'm a news laundry employee is sort of accused of something he did 10 years ago, then newsrooms now need to start thinking about how do you deal with something like this when the employee need not have been, you know, your employee. It need not have been workplace harassment. But there is also this moral pressure of sort of doing the right thing. And I think there are two ways to look at it. I mean, you could either just say, okay, this is none of our business and we have nothing to do with this. Or you could say that, okay, this is a serious allegation and we we want to make our newsroom safe. And then you take it from there that how do you take this allegation to then sort of uh, confront it and use it to sort of create a safer workspace for and the rest of the women employees. And set an example as well. Yeah, which need not mean firing. Like I do think there's a misunderstanding that people think that an ICC is just going to fire men, you know. It's just there to sort of brand men and excommunicate them from the workspace. It's really not. It could also be just a conversation or, or some actions that move towards more gender sensitivity in the workspace. Also, there are many, many numerous incidents where I, which I know of where news organizations have taken action uh, before Twitter came into being and it was never publicized. Yeah. It was done internally. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that most news organizations wouldn't dismiss these charges easily. Yeah. Especially because women journalists have always been a rather aggressive force. Yeah. In my uh, experience, they are, they'll walk into the editor's office, scream, yell and everything that why aren't you doing anything? I've seen that. They are completely fearless in that. And um, even if they didn't do that, I think most uh, heads of news organizations are sensitive to the fact that you can't have uh, somebody working in a newsroom uh, with these kind of accusations without yeah. it being dealt with. with it, it, without it, it being addressed. Without yeah. it being addressed. And it has been many, many, many times. No, I yeah. When I said that every narrative needs a reconstruction, I was talking more from the journalistic yeah. Yeah. point of view, not from ICC. I, I didn't even reach there. <laughs> yeah, I so think that I is, meant, like what most, I that I is the most important point yes. that Raman is making. Because that the lack journalistic of, rigor. The yeah. lack of uh, investigation and jumping to the conclusion that the accusation is real, this is what we are seeing. It may very well be real, but I don't think journalists are in a position to take sides unless you do your own independent investigation. Hmm. But I think that's then. I think that also is part of the larger problem with the, you know a lot of the media today, which is just you know the rush to yeah. to have that yeah. breaking scoop, whatever. And it's 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 a scandalous, salacious gossip in a sense and that I they're dying it, to be the first ones to have. And in terms I'm, of actually, I find it very amusing that the same organizations who have done 
very little within their own organizations with such accusations and now accusing other news organizations that why aren't you doing yeah, more? It's become, a, it's become a, I mean, what I'm finding extremely, I mean, amusing in a very cynical way, but actually very depressing and infuriating is this sort of performative feminism that everybody is expected to display and yeah. that social media is really sort of you know taken that up with a vengeance hmm. and I find that you know everyone has to prove themselves to be angrier and more righteous and you know there's no where is your response there's no there's no room for anybody to have a, a private conversation with somebody or anything that is just not served up for public consumption hmm. and I think that there's a lot of pressure on the victims as well who may want you know private reconciliation of their complaint and that then it sort of whips everyone up into a frenzy of if you're not asking for that person to be thrown into jail, then you are also disgrace to the feminist movement. Mm. And everybody's sort of being, you know, there's the it comes back to a person's agency and what they want. Yeah. And also, but also allowing that to uh, kind of express itself um, in its own time and on its own terms and not yanking it out of them and whipping it up into something. A lot. I mean, I, I, a lot of people even... You know, the ICCs in India are very badly trained. There's, you know, quite a few surveys that have been done on how most of the people there in, in ICCs and, you know, hmm. 30, 40% of the ICCs in corporate India have never had a single training, hmm. don't know what the act says, you know, they're not legal people. Um, but, you know, so many of them that I've spoken to don't know that the Sexual Harassment Act, in fact, contains a provision for conciliation. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. That, you know, at the, at the victim's request and you you know you present these options to her very neutrally without trying to you know force her or sway mm. her one way or another um but you don't have to have a adversarial inquiry exactly you know I it think can that is be that you know the person also without prejudice can just in order to avoid an inquiry and the evidence and all of that which it entails which is like a mini trial mm. just work out what would be an acceptable solution? Exactly. And, you know, finish it off. But I, I do think that the social that social media, while it's it's had, you know, it's been very useful in providing a platform to people who don't have a platform to speak. And, you know, not everyone is a Vidya Krishnan who has, you know, not everyone has journalist friends hmm. who, you know, give so much space to their articles and things like that. So social media is very useful. Twitter is useful. But I do think that the reactions it generates... Can yeah. be a bit, and especially yeah. the performative feminism bit is really true, and you, it is kind of you see that it's a, a lot. circus. Yeah, uh, this, this is just like I'm more feminist than you yeah. are, and I'm just. Yeah, Why have you not commented on this? And I've commented on what, the last what? twenty allegations, and you've only commented on the last six <laughs> allegations, and that shows that you're a select. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, <laughs> let this happen on on the social media, but when we start writing a story i find that the me too stories as they have been appearing in the media are the easiest one to do hmm. it is what i mean there's one person coming to me giving her narrative and i according to that narrative i'm just sending one questionnaire to the accused and just writing the story hmm. i'm not double checking anything uh, uh, i'm not that way though i must say it's not just me too hmm. i look at so many stories yeah. these days on yes. any issue and they are comprised basically of screenshots of people's tweets with a few lines of commentary no i so agree that, but here that we, seems to be talking like the social media is a is a source of news ah, rather yeah. than it a, is becoming rather a than a, yeah. you know yeah, a platform social media is governing the media uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes no, and so and also it is encouraging mob 
the mob lynching mentality. Yeah, it is. So, you know, any one person is attacked by another one person. And so before you know it, it's been snowballed into, you know, thousands of people jumping on the... And they may not be even an issue. But just because one person has been attacked, everybody is jumping on them. It's, um, I think it's bad. I really, I think it's bad for discourse. It's bad for intelligent thinking. I, I, you know, I do, I see the bad, but I'm, I'm a little wary of dismissing it entirely because I do see its potential for people mm. who don't otherwise have a platform. Oh, yeah. You can't dismiss it. You, you, there's no yeah. choice. But what I do, what, I mean, you know, coming back to, coming back to what we're talking about, which is more, I think, on the state of journalism rather than on me too specifically because i think me too is just another another kind of story where this plays out is where what people are saying is the news mm. rather than anything that they're talking about mm. there is and a Raman, general, i yeah. think your point is very well made that this easy easy journalism where there's very little reporting people don't go out they're sitting gla- with glazed eyes on their laptops and just Collect, collating, 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 and pulling out a story without stepping out at all, sending one questionnaire, maybe not even waiting the required 48 hours or whatever, didn't, no response, so you've done your bit. I think that's really pathetic journalism. Hmm. Moving on from that, uh, the ANI editor-in-chief, Smita Prakash, interviewed uh, Dassault Aviation CEO Eric Trapier, who basically said that Congress's allegations are all crap and it was our decision to go with Anil Ambani and there's no, uh, there was no pressure on us and there's no question of crony capitalism there. And he also said CEOs don't lie, which was really picked up by everyone. Cause that, that's a lie. That we have to say we're rolling our eyes. <laughs> Yeah, and also ANI always manages to get stories which makes somehow makes the Modi government look good. Whether it's finding some it guy, was orchestrated yeah. completely. I mean, when it comes to the interview, uh, if you just see how the entire thing started, and when the opposition started building up pressure, there was also pressure from the interest groups like uh, Prashant Bhushan, Arun Chori. I mean, they 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 were work, the pressure groups, so they were also putting pressure on these. Th- then then the government came up with its own narrative to defend itself. Mm. So I think ANA, ANA interview is just part of it. Mm. It is It happened because the government wanted it and uh, the CEO spoke what the government wanted. I think so no this, questions, no disturbing questions were asked. This government gets uh, an award for media management. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in every form, whether absolutely. it's television interviews or planting stories in print or social media, whatever, they're quite amazing. They are very organized, I must say. Not only in this, also making nationalism uh, the driving force, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all over. Uh, did you read the, you read the BBC, uh, uh, BBC story on how Fake uh, news. The, the fake news and how you know it's uh, in its primary usage in India is by the Indian right wing. Indian right wing. That is true, and that's really no surprise. I mean, all the top sort of postcard news or Satya Vijay and all and these fake news. And you can tell news. that they're being directed because they're all identical. Yeah. Regardless of the platform, regardless of the publication or person who says I have no affiliation with it, but they're all spouting the exact same mm. lines. I, I think it. In fairness, it damages the right-wing view. So, because I think in a country like ours, it's important to have an intellectual right-wing group also. And somehow it's gotten into this 
uh, right wings have just gotten into a troll mentality. But also, I, th- which I, in I India, don't think is is healthy because if you recall, like Arun Shuri is a good right wing mm. uh, intellectual and a good spokesperson for the right wing. But he used to be, no? Now is he? Now, uh, well, he's still a cons- I mean, he'd still he's still right wing. Conservative. He's yeah. still right wing. But the fact is that he's against Modi's government is a separate issue. But that means that right wing is not only limited to Modi's, Modi's government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the point is that there is a, a strong right wing uh, element in in his whatever he does, his writing or speeches or whatever. And I think that is a, that is a, a miss because even in America, for example, there was a time where there was a very powerful right wing intellectual William Buckley and left wing Gore Vidal. And there were all these bouts that happened and debates and everything between right-wing and left-wing. That is clearly missing because right now it's troll versus liberals. Uh, So I have a question then. Do you think that they're really, I mean, other than, of course, one or two intellectuals, politically, my belief, and I'd love to know what, what you and the others think about it, is that there really isn't any space, perhaps given the economic disparity or whatever the reason, but there really isn't any space for a right wing in India in terms of fiscal conservatism or anything like that. The only thing that seems to separate the right from the left in India is, uh, is Hindutva. There really, there's, there's nothing. That's that's the strongest point, actually, because right wing includes fiscal policies, yeah. foreign policies. I don't think any government, BJP in, or anybody, yeah. is going to, you know, pull the plug on, you know, fiscal, you know, SOPs and things like mm. that. And you know, I mean, that's a separate issue. I'm not even getting into whether they should or shouldn't. And India is completely different that way in terms of the level of disparity and what people need. I in don't the know 80s, that there's there a was space. A, a sharp divide in the right wing and left-wing in terms of economic policies. That was very strong. I don't see that today. No. It's it's no. just, it's Hindutva and non-Hindutva. That's the yeah. right and left even, in India today. That's the, the right left, and left. Even, that's even, a crucial point because... Even, even the left and the center are becoming rightist now. I think yeah. in Madhya Pradesh, Congress has this yeah. cow. Their whole, their whole manifesto is cow. And, but also, yeah, and in the right wing, like an RSS's labor wing will be very left you know, they will see eye to eye with the left uh, labor wings on many issues. Yeah, that's, mm. So it's, and, you it's know, true that, that uh, the only distinction is nationalism, perhaps, and internal security. So when it's Maoism or Kashmir, there's a strong sort of, you'll have a right which will say, okay, clamp down, crush them. I'm not so sure that, that the that Congress is any Muslim. different on a national not, security. Or I mean, I think they're all, everyone's pretty much this. The perception might Congress be different. The perception might be different. Mm. The bluster might be different because, you know, you're speaking to a different constituency. I don't know that on actions, the Congress is any... Yeah, um, I mean, any the easier on, uh, on nationalism or in national security or in, uh, internal security. I don't Ma- see much difference. Macron, this like, couple of days ago, came up with a great quote in his speech where he said, nationalism is destroying patriotism. Hmm. Yeah. That and that's true. a thing it to is. think about. Yeah. Because most of us confuse the two. That's true. But I mean, it comes down to then our ability to take criticism as a form of love for our country. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the thing. But coming on, coming back to fake news, it is true that I, I've always felt that the left is very good at propaganda. And we've seen that before the BJP government under the UPA, you did have propagandist journalists. Radia exposed that in the best way, where journalists were taking dictations literally from cabinet ministers, ministers, and no, that they're kind taking of dictations from corporates, corporates even also. worse. Yeah, and the cabinet ministers also take dictation from corporates. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, what a great point. Yeah, but 
and that kind of propaganda was tough to sort of bust because it's so seeped in and it was so and i i always felt congress sort of cultivated journalists then sort of make them feel scared that okay you do this the way bjp does bjp i think everyone's scared like i don't think they cultivate journalists as much as the way congress did but on a personal so you're level, saying one uses no. carrots and one uses sticks no, yeah <laughs> but, on a personal but, level but they do bjp does on a personal entirely level entirely right wing no, i don't no, think no, no, the bjp Manisha, seems to have created its own media yeah No, it's own media and but bjp is also behind the scenes does cultivate journalists mm. on a personal level there are many ministers i've seen in in very humble journalistic homes which i wouldn't imagine them to even come there mm. and i you know i'm surprised to see a minister of that level coming to somebody's house but they do it because they want to keep them mm. uh, informed of their viewpoint at all times no i my experience is i mean the congress used to cultivate the journalist uh, but they never used to regimentalize you you know what is there is a difference between what is happening now and what used to happen in the past the congress always will they will try to cultivate you but if you don't want to fall into that trap even the ib would be having you know the entire dossier on the journalist so they would uh, the the congress men in power they used to be briefed at how we can tackle with this reporter yeah. and how how we can tackle him so all these things used to happen mm. but but there was no no organized mm. uh, you know cultivation mm. no i think so yeah. now right now what is happening is very organized And very militarized, and if you do I, not fall yeah. in into line, you may be. It's uh, targeted know, vengeance. Uh, actually, yes. I think that's the difference. Yes, I think difference. that the Congress and the BJP may have done many things similarly, and mm. um, you know, nobody can say that it's only the BJP that has destroyed the independence of our institutions. Yes. Mm. But there's a vindictiveness with yeah. which they've gone about right. things. A very targeted vindictiveness very targeted. that I think is new. No, 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 no. It's not new. I'm sorry. UP also did the same thing. To to such a And I mean, no, normalized it to such an extent. I think Blake. I'll give you the example think, no, of what I, happened to Ajit Gulabchand and and Lavasa. What is uh, the story? I mean, the story of uh, Ajit Gulabchand and Lavasa was that basically Lavasa has closed down and he's had to huh. file for bankruptcy. I think he's either planning to or has, and that was because the UPA went after them. No, no. I'm. We are talking about the media. Do you think? Do you think it media. was such? It was the I'm culture. About, do you think it was the I'm culture about, of the UPA uh, that they normalized? No, Lavasa. We reported. We all reported, and uh, uh, you're talking about Pune thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, yes. Well, you know, it's so, uh, it's considered that it's also Tavleen's association with with Ajit Kulabchand, mm -hmm. and that was why it happened. No, it must be very, very few cases. This uh, right now, it is. very organized madhu it's not just one person two persons i mean wherever no, they, and they're very ruthless also the thing is that you one gets an understanding of it there was an interview we did in the uh, 90s of chotala when he first came into prominence and he in the interview he said that he wanted ke log dar se rahe ke agar jab maa bacche ko sulati hai aur wo bolti hai ke so jao nahi to chotala aayega aise mujhe chahiye so there is an uh, a thinking where if you're in in a ruling party you cultivate fear amongst people and that is legit and there is the uh, pseudo liberalism uh, of the upa in which they want to appear more liberal and not get into the fear this thing psychosis whereas this government has no compunctions about building fear they think that's the way to rule Ah, much mm -hmm. like chotala no it wasn't that organized i mean if in the past it wasn't 
I don't think it was regimentalized. I mean, I see that because just coming back to the media in the sense that you had, you've always had a UPA-friendly media, and you have a uh, NDA-friendly media today. The NDA-friendly media, prime time after prime time after prime time, is praising Modi, attacking Congress, praising Modi, attacking opposition. Whereas the UPA-friendly media, yeah, there were subtle plugs, there was this subtle propaganda that would come in. But it was not this blatant. I think I the mean, blatant. If it had been so which, blatant, we would not yeah. know about two G. It wouldn't be reported in any. I mean, exactly. it was never like it wasn't. I don't think it was to the extent that you simply cannot say a single thing against the government. It was yeah. never like that. But when two G came out, the editor lost his job. The editor of in Open Magazine. When when they came out with the Radia tapes, the editor lost his job. But Manu lost it after a while, no? After I mean, well, he was there for quite a bit. Ah, but of course, after Radia Outlook also kind of died because Tata's pulled away the ads and yeah, also the and Radia Publishing did lead to Open and Outlook kind of. Yeah, no, open. Now, now Madhu in Open is a is a very open secret that Arun Jaitley he calls the shots. Mm. He is the one who is appointing who uh, you know the. The the reporters and uh, the editors there. Krishna Prasad also lost his job uh, because of the uh, his RSS story. I don't know if it was the RSS story, but basically Neha Dixit's it was cover RSS. story, which was talk, talking about yes. child yeah. trafficking mm-hmm. and RSS. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I think, last I heard, he's gone back to his village near Bangalore. Yeah, and he's very. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, his blog Churmuri is quite active. I follow that quite a bit. It's interesting. I'm going to read a letter by uh, a very angry subscriber who has a lot of things to say about how ill-informed we are. <laughs> so <laughs> this is Shobha, and she says, "I was appalled at your discussion on the killing of Avni, the tiger, in your latest Hafta 197. First of all, if you have not read much on the subject, or if you don't have subject matter expert, please don't discuss. It's better to show ignorance than sound incoherent and foolish. My God. So we showed our <laughs> ignorance then." The discussion was lazy, insensitive. I'm a subscriber and a le- regular listener of your podcast. I used to rely on NL Hafta for your insights on politics. What um, did you say? Yeah, <laughs> but in this case, it saddened me that you were on the wrong track and therefore have now become cynical of your other discussions as well. In Avni's killing case, uh, there you there are so many loopholes. Instead of trying to understand the case in depth, you guys went on and on about Menika Gandhi. Manisha Pandey has not even read the article herself, which she's recommending, and yet she went on to talk about how those shooters were chosen without any knowledge. Uh, did I say that? I don't think I said shooters were chosen without any knowledge. But I did uh, say that uh, I haven't read the article, but it sounded very interesting because it gave a backdrop. So I was open about that. Of course, we're not in an anthropocentric society, as Anand puts it. It doesn't mean we should disregard environment. But we did make the point. We did say that and there was nobody no, said okay. we should disregard environment, but we did anyway, say uh, that uh, yeah. you know it's man versus beast. Yeah, and it is true. And we also did mention that it it wasn't certain if the tigress had in fact killed. And that was prescient yeah. because Abhinandan mentioned that we don't know for sure whether that dart. Uh, to try yeah, was and tranquilize it, it was was it put afterwards and it yeah. turns out from the post-mortem that it was put afterwards all the claimed killings happened inside the forest if Avni was a man-eater then how come there was no killing in the last six months and those stories actually came out one of the express stories came out after a discussion there's a way to handle man-eaters and in this case no procedures were followed in a civilized society we should have been tranquilized and taken to a zoo since Dart was planted after she was killed, cover-up attitude of forest officials mm. were clearly exposed, which Abhinandan did point, actually. Yeah, Most importantly, that. if tomorrow more humans are killed, it will be attributed to other tigers living in the area, and this can be used as a pretext to get rid of all the tigers and hand over the land to big companies. That's a fair point. 
these are some of the points which shows that it was heavily goofed up this was a murder of extreme level and you guys killed my joy to of listening to anil hafta and your totally apathetic discussion to it i think she's upset because abhinandan said i'm not a fan of putting animals over <laughs> over human beings over human beings i'm not either okay I mean, um, that's a criticism well taken uh, we'll keep this in mind and uh, people are very passionate about avni You yeah, know, there there was even a protest uh, against there was a candlelight vigil or something in Delhi. Well, it became saw, political uh, in the end, you know. Yeah. So it was a staged killing. Yeah, and staged she has killing, a point because I've been reading more and more in very, I mean, you know, some obscure sources, some in India, not otherwise outside of India, a lot, of, you know, coming out of Africa. Oh, that this is a a concern that uh, you know land that wildlife sanctuaries and you know. um they're just sitting on so much land that people either want to farm mm. or corporates want to get their hands on mm. and that there is a concerted effort to slowly slowly just make that irrelevant mm. it could be a possibility That's it possible. has happened reading, it is interesting because i've been reading a lot yes. of that but it does if the tiger is a man eater and if he a decision is taken that he needs to be she needs to be destroyed i think it's not being realistic actually if you say that you have to follow a procedure in terms of the tranquilizer should go in you wait for the tranquilizer to work because if you're sitting in a jeep and the tiger appears and the tranquilizer for some reason takes a long time to work or whatever the people sitting in the jeep are cooked yeah but i think here the point is that there are certain procedures that can be followed and shouldn't because this case like you said it yes. really looks staged also in also yeah in this case the postmortem was completely against the the forest officials yeah. Yeah. yeah so they did and i'm not really surprised like forest officials there's so many stories of like them Alice. being hand in glove with smugglers yes. and uh, with poaching so, so i'm pretty like i when we discussed this, that there's very little no, trust the in the stories the corporates taking over uh, you know the jungles for the minerals and all yeah. that yeah. is the biggest story yeah. and which has been happening it has happened in odisha and elsewhere so you get rid of the wildlife there first yes. and sort of yes when, and then when you need the land so what do what do we want to discuss next madhu we'll give you uh, the well i think uh, in today's newspapers and all over the singer krishna hmm jm uh, krishna classical singer his performance which was supposed to take place two days from now at the um, Jawaharlal Nehru Park they've done many perform you know concerts there uh, there was i think um airport three, authority of india airport authority and spikmake was sponsoring it and because he has taken a position uh, which is uh, anti modi hmm. politically which is has nothing to do with his music though hmm. uh, trolls uh, went after him hmm. and uh, airport authority and spikmake then cancelled the performance these were online trolls like yes online trolls, online trolls. and wow and uh, ramu guha has written a long piece in mm. uh, in indian express today saying that um, he was not going to spout politics on stage obviously he yeah. was just going to sing sing no, so the, the best part is i mean the singer has given an open invitation ha he said to, call me call me and i'm going to perform on hey, call me anywhere yeah. he said so, so yeah, this we, is a good way of just call him to the news laundry office yes <laughs> please come and perform here yeah he's at least said that give me a stage anywhere in delhi on november 17th and i'll come and sing and tm krishna actually he's upset he's upset people on both sides i think there was a christian group also that was no there were classical he was singing um, hymns i think he had uh, so he's a carnatic musician and he decided to sort of 
He was talking uh, about the fact that, that Carnatic music has a tradition is not just limited to um, you know Hindu culture and yeah. um, um, you know Hindu sort of music, yeah. religious music. That there is a tradition in Carnatic music of hymns and yeah. things like that, and and that also a lot of people got angry that uh, how could he do this? But I'm amazed that the airport authority would cancel something like this. So over. I, you, should, you should be amazed that Spick McKay cancelled. Yeah, Spick McKay. Airport authority is predictable because it's government. Huh. But Spikman K also had to bow down. Wow. And we've also had a case and this is as Abhijit Ayer Mitra is still in jail. He hasn't been able to get bail for like 23 days now. And you've had another... Uh, what do you guys think of that? Actually, there's a journalist in uh, Bangal- in Karnataka who was uh, put in jail for apparently... Uh, he was part of an event which was... He's a right-wing journalist and uh, the event was also sponsored by RSS and sort of people close to the RSS. Uh, it was an anti-Tipu Sultan, Tipu Sultan's dark side event where he mm. went on stage and he said he's, uh, you know, he's whatever, he's evil and this and that. And he also, there's an allegation in a newspaper that he also said that it's because of Prophet Muhammad's teachings that he's um, <coughs> the evil guy that he is. So, of course, I mean, that comes under offending religious sensibilities and he was put in jail and he's got bail now. But uh, that didn't get much attention. Why was he arrested? For uh, hurting religious sentiments. Anti-Tipu Sultan, anti-Prophet Muhammad. Muhammad. To say that it is because of Prophet Muhammad's teachings that which Tipu Sultan imbibed, which is why... It's a Congress government, uh, Madhu, in Karnataka. (laughs) (laughs) It is a Congress government. Have you heard of this case? (laughs) No, this is the first time hearing of it. But this law... I heard about uh, somebody getting arrested for a pro-Tipu Sultan comment. Oh, really? That also happened? That happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. So, so the gist of the story is... Just don't say anything speak. about Tipu Sultan. <laughs> Just don't say anything about anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> I think before we wrap up, we should discuss uh, the CNN um, uh, filing lawsuit against Trump. Uh, and then you guys can tell me if there's anything else you'd like to discuss. What do you think of that, Madhu? And do you see that happening in India ever under any government? Congress I think, or I think BJP? it's wonderful. Hmm. Um, and what is really even more wonderful is that all many numerous list of organizations have joined CNN in this, including Fox News, Hmm. where the president gave a statement Hmm. saying that we stand by them because nobody should be barred from doing their job. I think if it ever happened in India, there's a very good chance that the case would be won because one thing that our courts have really been serious about is if somebody attacks or prevents a person from carrying on with their livelihood. Hmm. So if your livelihood is threatened, our courts have taken a very serious cognizance of it. So I think that would be a really good case. Whether a news organization would even file it. Now, I know of a, of a reporter in a news organization who's been barred from army briefings. Okay, He hasn't told his bosses because if he tells his bosses that he's barred from army, he loses his job. Because what use does he have if he's barred from from uh, the briefing. So he waits outside and his friends come out and then they brief him. Now, the same thing is that there are journalists who've lost their jobs because they've been denied access. Mm. So BJP ministers will not go to these interviews mm. by a particular reporter. Or, or not a, come on or, their not come. channel or so their then, show. So then the, uh, the editor or the owners will say, that what use is this guy if none of the people in power are going to talk to him? So that person is then gotten rid of. So I think this is an, uh, a very important issue in which 
the government uh, can do all kinds of things to jeopardize a journalist's work. I think that's very interesting that you raise it. Uh, if a journalist was to approach the courts against a ban on them attending a conference or being allowed into a party uh, headquarters, they could win because it's a threat to livelihood, carrying on their livelihood. Well, AAP did it, mm. you remember? I think two years ago, when they stopped journalists from coming in to... AAP. Uh, yeah. They did it. They, they did even that. evicted some guys off their WhatsApp. Yeah. I mean, even Congress does. Congress doesn't allow Republican. Republic to enter. <coughs> Times now, they're fine with. They don't. In today's news, apparently, CBI has a WhatsApp group in which oh. they disseminate information. Yeah. And in that, they've thrown off one... No, that is one. that is more. Uh, I tell you what. Has, what is happening in the CBI? Uh, there are two camps, very clearly two camps. Uh, so, uh, but but even in that case, the CBI PRO should not, you know, uh, remove the uh, reporter from the WhatsApp group. But uh, they are cl- uh, these. The, there's one camp which is anti uh, CBI director. They are the ones who are troubling, uh, you know, this PRO a lot. <laughs> so so I think out of anger he removed one of them then he included somebody else from Pioneer and that person then exited himself <laughs> must have been told wow. that listen if they're chucking out Pioneer you can't get in but do you see but this happening but they all are running in- a campaign you, you also feel very sorry I mean I know for that matter this DNA uh, and the Pioneer I mean, they are running a kind of campaign against uh, CBI director hmm. And these days, I mean, uh, you don't question, you know, if, even if you question, you issue a, a rejoinder. So nobody is going to publish it because everybody is campaigning the, in the media. And especially when it's pa- uh, stories about the CBI, ah. they, none of the CBI people can actually go on record. They're not allowed to speak to the press. So it's always plants. So, and It's interesting how in India, the government, any government, has been able to really really like set the terms of its relationship with the media rather than the other way around no this yeah. government has been more powerful in that much more in the sense By that there certainly. are no press conferences yeah yeah and Narendra Modi has not given a single press conference it's a one way street yeah. uh, monkey bath and, and, and what it what he's achieved so it's, it's very insidious very insidiously what he's achieved is you have media literally like there's no question of solidarity because they're all jumping over each other to get that one scrap, that one scoop of information, that one, you know, there's, if they just band it together, they could renegotiate the terms and say, you know what, you're fighting an election. We're not going to give you any coverage unless you give us the kind of access we want on our terms. And what would happen but if, say, you, all the media got together exactly. and demanded you know, a press kind conference of, the from Narendra Modi? The kind of power that the media that has, they're just not using because they don't want to stick together, they're too scared, they don't know what's going to happen. But, lit, I mean, in an election year, the media has all the power. Yeah, and it's true it's that... more they, than the scary thingy. I mean, I think they have... They have become part of the government. The me- many media groups that they I know. Pa- they'll become part of any government. Ah, I mean, Narendra I Modi announced it the week he became prime minister. He says the media is not going to decide the conversation. We are. And they have. Hmm. But it's. do you see this happening in India? CNN, what is, what CNN has done with the White House? Look, anything is like, possible. It will require a lot of courage on the part of media houses. Hmm. If yeah. a media house is pushed to the wall... Uh, you never know. I mean, hmm. I think media houses showed courage during the emergency. Maybe that was a different time. No, I no, no. Only one. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> People forget in the emergency, the whole world in India was supporting Indira Gandhi outwardly, at least, for their own skin, including the courts. So the f- few that stood out are now hailed as heroes. But, but what may, about the 98.9% who didn't? Today, maybe it'll just take a few to set the ball rolling. 
Don't you think anything that can happen? happen. Yeah. If one person, if one news organization decides to take a stand. But the problem is, and it's this is the same. I think it's the the same with any kind of um, action that requires solidarity. You're always worried about the one person who will break, and then everything will come tumbling down. There will always mm. be that yeah. one or two people who will break and say, "Yes, I'm with you," and, and last then, minute then jump I'll ship. be the only person to get that scoop. Kind of, you know, you need to have a solidarity that really goes we beyond. We don't even this. have a body actually, like a press body that is really together. You know, even that you, is. We've allowed the government to play divide and rule. Yeah, that is true. Uh, anything else you guys would like to discuss before we ask for your recommendations, Madhu? What is your recommendation? My recommendation for this week? is I just started Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, hmm. which is fascinating. It's a bit of a chick book, but still, because <laughs> she talks a lot about motherhood. Chick books are always fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she talks about growing up in Chicago under in a tiny little apartment with no space, hmm. living on the south side, very poor part of Chicago, and how her father managed with two jobs, tried, got the kids through school. And it's, it's a wonderful story and very beautifully written, funny and brings in nuances that, you know, like, for example, she says uh, she's playing in a playground with her cousins and distant cousins and everything. And one uh, little girl comes up to her and says, why do you talk like a white person? And she never knew that she was speaking like a white person because she considered herself black and was proud to be black. She was brought up like that. But one thing that her parents did do was that if they did taught them to enunciate their words. Mm. And instead of saying go in, they insisted they say going, not allowed to say ain't. Mm. So And there was a dictionary in the house, an encyclopedia, and all information was searched out and, and discussed by the with the with the children by the parents and so she said that th that is something that blacks many times feel that you're being uppity if you're pushing yourself to excellence hmm. and that interesting little nuances like this which give you an insight on on how tough it was for blacks to in the in the 60s where there was no access to to easy college education or jobs, trade unions didn't allow blacks in. It was even if you were, uh, if you had the education, you didn't get a job as an engineer. You ended up being a conductor on the train because uh, because of the unions. So there, it was a very um, segregated society and very difficult to break out of it. Raman sir, your recommendation? Uh, uh, one uh, biographical movie uh, on Netflix. Vault before Disney, yes. Hmm. So this is what I watched. Uh, in fact, I was resting in my hill house. I didn't watch much and didn't read much. So I think that's one. It's a, it's a good biographical, uh, uh, you know, movie. I think the Netflix original. Meera, what about you? Um, two, actually. One on Me Too. I think the best article that I read that really stayed with me, I found it very cathartic as well as very constructive and empathetic to, to everybody involved. Um, it's called The Great Stink. Hmm. It's on uh, longreads.com by someone called Laurie Penny. Okay. And I really, it really made me, you know, there was, there was a time in that whole period, you know, and I mean, I, these, these kind of allegations, you know, I've also had, you know, gone through things like that. And, you know, I'm sure most, most people have. And I, there was a period where I was just feeling angry and low and overwhelmed by everything that I was reading. And I really found that very helpful. Hmm. Um, what was her position? There's no position really. It's, it's just more of a um, wider perspective 
on where things have gone wrong, where, what can we do to change them, how we need to recalibrate our relationships with men. And it was, it wasn't, it, there was a little bit of blame where, where, you know, where blame is deserved. But I just, it was overall, I found it non-judgmental. I found it just very, um, as I said, constructive in terms of where do we move forward. You know, there was a time when certain actions were the norm. They're no longer. Do you hold on to the grudge? Do you hold on to the blame? Do you work on your relationship? And I mean, at the end of it, the feel I got was on on preserving relationships that have been damaged um, by things like this. And that some, is something that really resonated with me. Mm. So it's constructive. I, I, that's what I felt. Just it was, a rant. Yeah, it, well, there was, it wasn't angry. It was as if the anger, there, you could sense the anger, but it was as if the anger had subsided. That's so that that I really, you know, it really made me, I mean, it, I felt a lot of things after reading it, but overall, I just felt better. I don't think we've evolved to that state yet. I think we're still in the anger stage, which is okay. Which is okay. And there's anger and here as well. Yeah. But, but then it has, to, that it's a little bit it has to then mature yeah. into a level that is, becomes more balanced, yeah. Yeah. that we're all in this yeah. together. We can't wipe men off the face yeah. of the earth yeah. and we are going to deal yeah. with them, but deal with them on our terms. Yeah. And it was very much like that. And it just, as I said, it made me feel better. So I highly recommend it. Hmm. Um, in terms of fiction, I have to say that I re recently read um, Madeleine Miller's, um, it's, I believe in ancient Greek, it's technically pronounced Kirke, hmm. though all I've ever heard it pronounced in bookstores and all is Circe, C-I-R-C-E. <laughs> okay. um, it is a retelling of Greek mythology from the point of view of one of the minor female characters in the Odyssey. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's completely, you know, it's like you've, you've, you've read, I don't know if you, you know, there are many sort of retellings of the Mahabharat from, say, Draupadi's point of view, that kind of thing. It's, it's not changing the original story at all. It's a complete shift in emphasis and focus. And uh, I, just, I just really loved it because the Odyssey is so much about the male characters and the male mm. heroes. And there's one character in it, um, Kirke, who where um, Odysseus spends a year on her island where she's exiled for witchcraft. Um, you know, and that's all of that is true. Um, all of that happens. But this is her backstory. And all the other events that are so central to Greek mythology are, you know, side events in her world, in mm. her life. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really love that for, for a number of I mean, of course, it's gripping. It's unputdownable. I was up all yeah. night reading it. It's just, it's, you know, it's very thrilling. But also just constantly keeps you aware of, you know, don't take, you know, history or anything else. Um, just as it's written, there, there are minor characters everywhere and everyone's a side player in their stories. That's true. An yeah. amazing film was made called Samsara, which was about uh, Siddharth, the Buddha's story, but from his wife's point of view. Mm. Like you went off and did this, 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 but what happened here? So his band, he de she deals with that, and I r do know that there is um there are some there's a book on uh, the Ramayana from Sita's point of view. Mm. I can't remember exactly what. I think it's what. by Samhita Arni. I think so, mm. and um, and the actually missing queen. Taking taking from that, I used to my grandchildren when they were really small, at the dining table, I used to tell them stories of Ramayana and Ra Ravan, and then I finally changed it to Sitayan. Mm. and started telling them stories and they loved that they loved the fact that Sita was so powerful as I made her and I think I think that's wonderful to yeah. to explore the as you said the minor so-called minor characters and then bring it from yeah. their point of view yeah. mm. 
I'm going to recommend uh, Red Birds, which is Muhammad Hanif's book, which I'm reading. It's quite nice. And I'm going to recommend... Mm, oh, this is not quite nice. It should be devastatingly great or horrible. <laughs> For, when I say quite nice, it mm. means really good. That's okay. my way of like... I see. Okay. You're an quite understated nice. person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to recommend a piece by Deepanjana, which is written on her blog, which deals with something that I've been thinking... Me and all our girlfriends have been thinking about this for a long time since Me Too has come out. That Why is it that so many of these cases, men think it's good I know, to like, I pull that. their penises out? <laughs> like either, you know, unzip themselves or send a picture of their dick. Never or, understood. Never like, understood so her the piece, allure. Yeah, her piece deals with like, who gave you the idea that this is charming? <laughs> or, this can convince, or this can convince women in any way? Or this is even something to do, even if it's like a consensual thing happening. Like, why do you think this is like a trump card you should pull out, <laughs> which is going to charm women? And it's, it's I really think a man should written. answer that, uh, that it's, article. She's written, it's a very and funny little thing. Really, it deserves this, an answer. Every time I read stories like that, I imagine, I, I just feel like it would be such an awkward situation. How can <laughs> anybody feel comfortable doing that? Doing that and thinking that the girl's going to get somehow excited no, I was going to say like, wow ah, she's going to no. be like oh wow how great like let me like no. you're the one so this uh, <laughs> this is something that's really baffled a lot of women like why is what uh, and I think it's pornography is what she talks about like perhaps it's just the cultural standards pornography has set but that's a fun read that's it for uh, this week's episode and remember to subscribe to News Laundry Pay to keep news independent. Uh, when corporations pay, corporations are served. When governments pay, the governments are served. And when you pay, you will be served. Thank you. What you want, baby, I got What you need, too. You know I got it, too. All I'm asking, too, is for a little respect when you just a little bit, baby. Just a little bit, Just a little bit, Mr. Just a little bit. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.